You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. I just want to thank you guys for your prayers and your kindness towards me and my family over the last 11 days. Uh, on October 6th, I'm getting used to this date, 10-6-2021, uh, we welcomed our, our third kid into the world. His name's Henry. And yeah, thank you. Wow. I'll tell Henry later uh, about that. Um, but he's at the hospital st- still at Phoenix Children's getting great care. Keaton's with him this morning as we've been playing back and forth there. But I just wanted to say that up front, that uh, uh, it's been really great to be part of this church family uh, and the ways that we have been loved and cared for. There's much more I have to say and think through and process, but maybe this isn't the space right now for that because we got some good stuff to get to today as well. Um, and there's really good stuff that I need to process with you guys as well as we go. Last week, we were looking at John 13 and the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Chris Hamilton did a little homily because uh, somebody was at the hospital with his, his newborn son. Thank you, Chris, for doing that. And really, John 13, the picture of Jesus washing disciples' feet is one of a posture of our mission. The posture of our mission in the world is foot washing, as servants. I was thinking about it even at the hospital. You have different levels of people that have different degrees and different status. You have the nurses. You guys are kind of in the middle of the lane, but really important. Don't worry, Hannah. Uh, but then you got like the doctors that come in. Like those are like the big dogs. And then you got like the surgeons as well. And they seem like really important too. Then you also have a whole crew of people that come and change out all of the, the, the trash and make sure all the supplies is up to date. And, and I've always noticed, like even in the hospital setting, like those are the lowest of low in the hierarchy of the hospital. But in the kingdom of Jesus, those are the ones that are often most celebrated. The posture of our mission is one of service, even if it's overlooked and hidden. That was last week. This week, the question really is, how are we nourished for the mission forward? How do we keep with the mission? How do we stay participating in God's stories? How are we nourished so that we don't get weary along the way? And we're going to look at the story of the Last Supper today and the story of Jesus' last meal with his disciples as a way that we're nourished for the way, for the, for the story, for the mission that God has invited us into. So if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read from that portion of the gospel. Uh, the Last Supper is in all four gospels in different ways. But Luke chapter 22, we're going to look there today. I'm going to read the whole passage to us, and then we're going to kind of work through it with some different dimensions of what it means to practice communion every week. The Last Supper is tied to what we do here at the table each week, and I want to talk about that today. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover, to give you some context if you're not familiar with Passover, Passover was a celebration of God's, uh, of God's people remembering that they were freed from slavery in Egypt, the Exodus story. And they would remember that every year, hoping for another Exodus. Verse 2, And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, <laughs> for they were afraid of the people. Verse 3, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Verse 4, And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. 
Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus, spent Peter, or Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I might eat the, may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs and all that's all furnished. Make preparations there. Verse 13. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they were prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Think of like they're leaning on, kind of on the ground. The table wasn't like a table we have today. It was kind of more on the ground. They were kind of leaning back at the table. In verse 15, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, you will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it's been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Verse 24. Think about the context of this, even just previously washing the disciples' feet. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. We should have great hope that the disciples, even walking with Jesus, were still so confused in how the kingdom works as we walk through our confusion. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater than the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is God's word. I had this really great privilege of growing up in one church my entire life. One church. Uh, in a culture right now where we like to move often, we're really mobile, and especially with the church, we're often going from community to community. I was in one church for over 20 years. There's people at this church that changed my diapers, that are still there, that as I grew up, it, this weird feeling, I think, for them and for me of like, you were the one changing my diapers in the nursery, and now like we're leading alongside one another. We're like brothers and sisters in Christ. I loved the context I grew up in. It was such a rich, meaningful church context. But if I were to give one critique Maybe one thing that maybe was missed in my formation as a disciple in this church context was around communion. Around communion. What does it mean? What's the vision of it? How do we practice it? We did communion once a month. It was a Sunday night service that you had to come back to. And if you're a teenager and you have to go to two services in the morning, no way you're going to come back for a third service at night. It's like church overload for a teenager. But every once a month, every throughout the whole year, they would celebrate communion. And often I wouldn't participate because I don't want to go back and Sunday night football was happening. Why would you miss that for communion? And so I feel like what I missed out on was a vision of what communion is. Why do we celebrate this little juice in this little 
piece of bread every week? What does it mean? Does it come just kind of like some special ritual that has, we think has some kind of magic to it? Or is there something more there, more meaningful there that we could grasp and take hold of that could nourish us for the journey as disciples of Jesus? So I want to talk today about three aspects, uh, three ways to think about the vision of what communion is. I want to talk about time, belonging, and allegiance. Time, belonging, and allegiance. When we come to this table, it has something to do with time. It says something about how we belong, and also third, about our allegiance. What is our allegiance? Time, belonging, allegiance. Time. So this first, uh, this last week, uh, when I was in the hospital with, uh, with, with Keaton, and we were hoping that we would give birth at a, a, a not us, she would give birth at a, uh, at a, uh, a, a midwife, at a birth center with midwives. Well, we found out we were, she was going into labor and she's only at like 35, 36 weeks. So they don't give, they don't let you give birth there if you're pre 37 weeks. So like, Hey, you need to go to a hospital. So we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll have to drive to some hospital. And so we get in the car and we're like, well, we gave, we, uh, our two, our first two kids, we gave birth at Mercy Gilbert. So we drove all the way out to Mercy. We're like, Hey, it's familiar. Let's go back there. But we hadn't spent any time in a hospital during this whole pregnancy. So it's like this overwhelming feeling of like, you're going to get assigned to some random doctor, but we eventually get there. We get checked in. They move us to a room. And I have this experience where uh, I'm like really anxious myself and I'm not even the one giving birth uh, as many maybe dads can, can resonate. Uh, I, had to, I had to use the restroom like 10 or 11 times. Like I was just so anxious. It's like I just, and I'm not even, I'm not even doing anything. I'm just here. But the first time I walked into the restroom in the, the room, I had this overwhelming like, for lack of a better word, it was a trigger. Like the smell, the sterile smell of the hospital restroom it was like, oh, I had all these memories come back. Because almost six years ago, Clark was born at the same hospital in a very similar room, our first child. And shortly after he was born, he had a really hard time breathing. And it was this whole ordeal where we were in the hospital for like a little over a week where he was up and down all the time. And so I'm having all these like flashback and memories through this smell, even through my mask I had to wear. Like, and, and it's just, it hits me. And then uh, Henry's born, and about 24 hours after he's born, they're like, hey, we need to take him to the NICU to do some different things. Like, okay. So I journey down there, and I, when I walk in to see him, he's in the exact same bed as Clark was six years ago. You walk in right to the left in the same room, in the same bed. So not just my smell now, but my sight. It's like, oh, I've been here before. And these memories aren't happy memories. These are memories of fear. You could say in like a really small way, because I don't want to over-dramatize it, because it isn't, it isn't like that. But in some ways, I was having an experience of what trauma does. Trauma hijacks your sense of time. Our senses are like memory keepers. And what trauma does is when you have this experience in the present, even subconsciously, you remind yourself of something that happened in the past, and then you have anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. Past, present, and future are all at play in these moments we have. Now, don't worry this morning, we're not gonna work through your trauma and, and all that stuff. You have counselors and other people to do that with, so don't worry about that. But I think the idea of trauma is a really helpful picture of what we're doing with the communion table each week. It said on Luke 22, verse one, they were celebrating the Passover, and the Passover was a celebration of rooting yourselves in what happened in the past with the Exodus story, longing for the future of God's coming Exodus and redemption, and hoping in the present that it would come now, past, present, and future, all in one. This is why when we do the mystery of our faith that we recite every week when we come to the communion table, which we'll do today, 
we say Christ has died, past. Christ is risen, present. Christ will come again, future. So when you come today to the table here in a few minutes, would you have that sense of time when you come? Every week when we come to the table, that God has been working in the past and now centered on Jesus' death and resurrection, we remember that past event that happened thousands of years ago and have faith that Jesus rose from the grave and has offered us forgiveness of sins. In the present, we get to taste resurrected life now. We have the seeds of new creation within us and in our world. But then also, as Sarah said in our confession day, we long for the future of God's coming redemption and liberation when Jesus returns and makes all things new, past, present, and future. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody around you and love for you just to share with them which sense of time, past, present, or future, do you need to remember today when you come to this communion table? Do you need to remember the past? Like, hey, I, I need to root myself that Jesus actually did die and he actually physically resurrected. And that has significance for today. Like, I need faith to remember that. Or right now in the present, do you need to like recognize and share with somebody around you where you've experienced resurrected life now and some of the seeds of that, even in hurt and, and needing of health? Or do you need to right now in this moment long for the future and orient your heart towards, I want to long more for Jesus to come and to make all things new, to redeem and restore his world and us as individuals and as communities. Which one do you need this morning to focus on, past, present, or future? Turn to somebody around you and we'll talk for a few minutes and then I'll call us back. Hopefully one or two of you got a chance to share as you think about your sense of time. We're often our own trauma and our own stories can hijack our sense of time. It becomes this comprehensive story in which we live out of it. Yet the center of our story is of Jesus' death and resurrection that happened in the past, has implications for the present, and we long for his return in the future. That's why we come to the communion table each week. All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your phone. I know usually you don't say that when you're in the middle of a sermon, but pull out your phone. You're going to do a Google search. I want you to Google search. Isaiah is looking right. He's ready right now. He's like, what do you want me to search? I want you to search. His name is Johan Anderson, J-O-H-A-N, Johan Anderson, and then afterward, after that, put The Supper, and then click on the images. Johan Anderson and The Supper. Now, this is a pretty provocative uh, painting by a modern artist. And so I was going to say if there was young kids in the gathering today of like Titus and Drexel were here, like, hey, you can, use some, you can use some judgment as parents if you want them to see this picture or not. But does everybody have it? Does it pulled up? It's a picture of the Last Supper retold. Here's what I want you to do, and we're not going to have a conversation around this. It's going to be in silent reflection. As you look at this picture, I have a really hard time when I first look at it because Jesus is really white in this picture and he was from the Middle East. So that's, that's a little bit off. So we'll just ignore that for a second, all right? But as you look at this picture, Johann Anderson, The Supper, in silent reflection, who doesn't belong at the table? Like who makes you most uncomfortable that's sitting at this table with Jesus? You can just keep that in your own heart. You don't have to share that out loud. Who makes you most uncomfortable? Again, this is like, it's, it's intentionally provocative, all right? So just, to, to just engage with it. Enter in. 
Who makes you uncomfortable? Who doesn't belong at the table? Who, when you look at that picture, if you're like, if you put yourself in the position of a Pharisee or one of the religious leaders and you're often in the Gospels, you're kind of in the background, but you're kind of watching Jesus interact with people. And just like the Pharisees and religious leaders, like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Why is Jesus sharing a table with that person? All throughout the Gospel of Luke, particularly, Jesus shares his table with people that made others uncomfortable. Like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders are wanting to kill Jesus here at the Last Supper because, partly because of who he shares his table with. He shares his table with people that don't fit into, uh, uh, into the boxes of the, that culture particularly, that are outsiders, those that are maybe marginalized in some way, those who are sinners, those who don't have it all together. Interestingly, if you look at this passage, I've been struck by this the last couple of weeks as I've been looking at the Passover story and even the story of Jesus' foot washing. Judas is central to the story. Jesus shares his table with the person who's going to betray him in just a couple of moments. Even in the story of Luke, and then you see it even more specifically in John, the picture really is this. Jesus is sitting at the host as the host of the table. To one of his sides, he has a disciple John. John's kind of like, cozied up to Jesus in the telling of the gospel. But on the other side, you have Judas. Judas is close enough to Jesus that Jesus is able in the gospel of John to hand Judas a piece of bread that he dipped. He gave Judas a place of honor, even though Judas was his enemy and was going to betray him. Does that not, that makes me uncomfortable. Who doesn't belong? And we love the idea that everyone belongs until we see like a painting like that and it makes us really uncomfortable, right? Ah, that person doesn't belong. Oh, if I'm really honest with you, I don't know if I'm that sure if that person belongs. But here's the second thing about communion. Yes, our sense of time, but everyone is invited to participate. Everyone is invited to come to Jesus' table, experience his loving gaze and his kindness. Everyone's welcome. Jesus constantly was sharing tables with different people that didn't fit any of the boxes. Everyone is welcomed just as they are. I want our tables during the week and on Sundays to be those kind of tables. We celebrate every week communion even as well. Now, this might have made you really uncomfortable. Some of you are like, oh, everyone's welcome to the communion table? Like, what about 1 Corinthians? Like, uh... Paul seems to make pretty clear, like, hey, you're going to drink judgment on yourself if you have different people that shouldn't be at the table. Don't take the table flippantly. Like, all of our, all of our senses come up, right? Like, oh, everyone's welcome to the table? You got me. You, you caught me there if you're feeling that way right now. Please hear this. This is my last point. Awesome race car. This is my last point. Everyone is welcome to the table just as they are. But with Jesus, everyone is welcomed to not just stay where they are, but to be transformed and to move from where they're at. To put it this way, we come just as we are, but Jesus loves us too much to let us stay where we are at. So you have to hold this intention. The table is a place of belonging, but when you come to the table every week, it's a place of showcasing your allegiance 
It means something that if you're coming to this table each week, it means that you are having this event, Jesus' death and resurrection, be the central event of your life. It means you're coming in submission, that dirty word in our culture of saying, Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to submit my life to him. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke earlier, uh, he interacts with a Zacchaeus, Jesus does. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Jesus comes to the town of Jericho. He looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house for dinner. Do you ever have that moment where someone's like calling to you or calling to somebody else and you're kind of looking around like, are they talking to me? Are they talking to somebody behind me? Like that's have to have been what Zacchaeus felt. Like, hold on a minute. Like, is Jesus talking to me? Hey, I'm going to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. I want to have dinner with you. So he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Remember what happened with Zacchaeus? He's overwhelmed with the belonging of Jesus that he's transformed at the table. Zacchaeus says, hey, I have robbed and cheated others with my practice of being a tax collector. Anyone I've wronged, I will pay back multiple times. What does Jesus say? Hey, today salvation has come to this house. Because of Jesus' belonging and loving gaze, he was then invited to be transformed and to change. He changed his allegiance from not just trying to, to make a bunch of money or to try to be greedy in the greedy practice of tax that He said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm done with that. My allegiance is to Jesus now in his kingdom. And in this kingdom, I'm not gonna cheat anybody anymore. Every week when you come to this table, as you get from your, up from your chairs and you walk up to get the bread and the juice, it's a sign of allegiance saying, I am submitting my life to this Jesus as king to his way of the kingdom. There's parts of my life I wanna, I wanna put aside and, and set off because I wanna follow Jesus. And I know that when I come here, he'll meet me with his loving gaze and belonging, but he's gonna invite me to be transformed as well. You're welcome just as you are, but Jesus loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. Time, past, present, and future belonging, everyone's welcome to the table. But then third, allegiance. It means something when you come to the table. It means something about where you're finding your identity and who you are. With this in mind, I'm gonna invite us here in a second to come to the table to experience communion today. But I wanna end with this. Uh, Henry Nouwen uh, is a spiritual writer and a Catholic priest. Uh, he's, he's the person that we named our son after, Henry spelled with an I at the end. It's not with a Y, with an I, because that's how he spelled it. He's, he's Dutch. I think it's a French way of spelling, though, to be honest. Henry, Henry Nouwen. Interestingly, we were like, going back and forth on names, and then we found out we were, oh, she's going into labor early. We probably should decide, and there's a long story for that. But the big part of it, I started picking up again uh, one of Henry Nouwen's biographies. Uh, a couple years ago, I'd read through all of Henry Nouwen's work, and I think he's one of the most important voices for our time. But in his biography, they talk about a lot of his practices, and there's a couple that are like amazing. I shared with this our, my my, shirt, my surge table last week, but one of them was this: every day of Henry Nouwen's life as a priest, he celebrated communion, the Eucharist. No matter which dinner table he found himself at, he would he would lead people in celebrating and receiving Jesus' body and his blood. He made people really uncomfortable because especially within the, his context of the Catholic Church, really clear on who can participate in the Eucharist and who cannot. So like that, it, it kind of rubbed people the wrong way, but every day of his life, he celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus because he knew that that had to be the central event, the central thing that oriented all of his life, all of his identity. And so every day he did that. Can you imagine if you were to do that every day for decades, how that would form you? 
how that would shape your heart and your desires and the things that you go after and your allegiance. Saying every day, I recognize in time, past, present, and future. I recognize I belong, that Jesus meets me with his loving gaze. And I recognize that when I take the body and the blood, it's a mark of allegiance. Saying this is the story and the king I'm going to follow. We celebrate once a week, but don't overlook that that once a week celebration is forming you in the decades to come. Just like the confession that forms us, we say every week, it can become rote, it can be overlooked, but it, for many of us, it has shaped us deeply as God's people. In the same way, this table should shape us every week. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'm gonna call you to the communion table here in just a moment. We're gonna take communion all together today. So once you get the elements, the body and the blood of Jesus, the bread and the juice, would you just hold on to it? You can just stay in your seats and I'll, I'll lead us from the front. But we celebrate this every week with reciting these words from 1 Corinthians. And then we're going to recite together the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And then I'm going to invite you to walk down and grab the elements as an act of submission to Jesus as King. And I'm going to encourage you today with your bodies as we take it together in a minute to have your body in a posture of submission, saying, hey, every week we're kind of reinitiated into Jesus' kingdom as we take his body and his blood. Let me read these words from 1 Corinthians. It says this, On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's recite together the mystery of our faith, and then I'm going to welcome you to come and receive from the King. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive from the King. <laughs>